So you can find today's Bible reading on page 213. So Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you, where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I have not commanded you. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan, here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. It's good to be with you. This is a bit weird. After three weeks, uh, hopefully it's like riding a bicycle. I'm not sure yet, so we'll see how we go. Let me pray, and um, uh, we'll get into the passage. Uh, before I do that, um, if you didn't grab an outline, uh, page 11 in the outline uh, it gives you a good idea where we're heading. Um, and if you haven't had a chance to look through the booklet this month, because it's the first time I've got to see it, uh, please feel free to do that. There's lots of great information in there about where, where things are at the church and other things as well. So uh, page 11 in your booklets. Let me pray. 
Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can come together as your people. Uh, we, we, we pray as we now uh, have just heard your word and as we reflect on it, that our hearts and minds will be transformed, that your spirit will convict us to be totally devoted to you as people who are strong and courageous. Amen. Now, uh, just to let you know, all my illustrations come from the holidays this week because I couldn't do anything else, so just to prepare for that. But some things we do, we need total commitment for, right? You can't half-heart it. You're either all in or you're all out. You know that, don't you? That's the way things work. On our holidays, we're on the, uh, at SeaWorld. Our kids got to go on their first roller coaster. And Amy and I were lining up and to the storm roller coaster, which is the biggest one at SeaWorld. And, and the terror of, should we do this? Should we not do this? Was lots of fun for me, not so much for Amy. As she was thinking, I don't know, we're like, I said, well, you've got to decide. You're either in or you're out, but you're in the line now. We either leave or you're all in. Because we can't get to the top of the roller coaster and go, I'm out. <laughs> you can't do that. You're all in or you're all out. That's the life of a roller coaster. But the book of Joshua is about being all in for God. Our theme for the whole series is total devotion. Because what we see as we pick up this part of the story, which is very foreign to us and, and, and away from where we are now, uh, this side of Jesus... God is wanting his people to understand what it means to be in relationship to him. And you can't get off the roller coaster, so to speak, if you're with him. You're totally in. And so this plays out in all sorts of different ways over the next, uh, over the next few uh, weeks as we look at this wonderful book. We're going to wrestle with this drama that Israel was facing... And we're going to consider today what it means to be strong and courageous. You may have heard of that idea before. It's a common, uh, a common phrase in Christianity where we should be strong and courageous with God. There's songs that are sung about it. Like, uh, there's a classic uh, Colin Buchanan song about being strong and courageous that pops into my head this whole time of writing this talk. Strong and courageous. But what does it actually mean? And what did it mean for Joshua and his people? Well, how are we going to figure this out? Well, first of all, as you can see in the outline, where are we in the story? And the way we're going to figure that out is we've got some slides to help us see where we are in the story of God's people. Because first of all, we know God made us. He made us in his image. That's all, all good. We're supposed to be in relationship with him, but it gets broken. People, uh, humanity's got a massive problem. How is it going to be fixed? God promises to make a people. And that's where we see um, our first slide. We see up on the screen that God's people are promised a land. And you can see a little house there. That land there of Israel is where the promised land is going to be. It's a little house there with a little tree next to it because the next slide we see that God had made a promise to Abraham about 2,000 years ago. Not just a promise, a covenant, a real promise that he made with them that they are going to have a special relationship. And that special relationship has three aspects to it. As you can see up on the screen, that God has promised this special relationship they have, they will have a land that they will dwell with God. 
And this, this land is going to be a very significant place. They're going to be with God and, and with him. They are going to have many, many descendants, many offspring. And not only are they going to have many offspring, their offspring and in the land, they're going to be a blessing to all the nations as they're blessed by God. The whole world will be blessed. The promises that send the whole Bible story can be summarized by the little acronym, you may have heard me say it before, LOB. Land, offspring and blessing. The promises of God that he started with Abraham and the people that goes on into the story. So this is the promise, the promise of the land. But as you may know, there's a time when the people are anywhere near the land and they're in a bit bad way because what we see up on the screen is that they are in... Um, Egypt. Can you see the little Toblerones there, the little um, pyramids for Egypt? They're in Egypt there, and, and then they're going to end up down at Mount Sinai. You may have heard that story uh, with the Ten Commandments, because what happens is, as we see, the people are in Egypt, and they're enslaved in Egypt. As you see on the screen there, we see they're slaves. 1450 BC, they're slaves. They escape Egypt. Moses, their leader, helps them escape. Well, he doesn't do it, does he? God does it, God uses Moses, the leader of God's people. And they go through and they end up in Mount Sinai. Daniel, they go to the end at Mount Sinai. And there we know the famous story, the golden calf. Moses is up there getting, getting God's way, the Ten Commandments and the way that God wants the people to be in the promised land. And down below the people are mucking it all up. And then Moses does something. He sends Joshua the hero of, of this book, to do a secret rendezvous into the promised land to check out what's going on. So he goes up there, he goes from Kadesh, Barnea, and he goes up there, and then he comes back. He goes in, he checks it out, he reports on what's going on, but the people don't take the land that God had promised. And so, what happens before they go into the land? What do the people do for 40 years? They wander. And so we get a big squiggly line. They wander everywhere. <laughs> they wander around. And right where that arrow is, is kind of where the start of this story takes place. The people are going to now get the promised land. And in verse 1, it's not Moses though. He dies. And Joshua is told, you're going to go into the promised land. So that's where we are in the story. But before we go any further, you may be wondering, I'm not sure where you are with God or why, why, why bother with all of this? That's actually a genuine question that I wonder whether you think about, uh, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Other than if you're a history buff, if you're a history buff, you probably really like that. But if you're not, some of us don't particularly love history. Why bother with this about this nation and about all these you know, thousands of years ago, what, why do we need to worry about this? What's your answer in your own head right now? Can't we just stick to Jesus, the New Testament? Why borrow with all these historical narratives? This is, I think, the first time we've looked at an Old Testament narrative, a story about God's people. Um, we've done other Old Testament books, but why bother with this, with Deuteronomy, with Exodus, and, and, and you know, Samuel, and all those books? Why bother with Joshua? What answer have you got in your head? Oh yeah, do a little bit, but I don't really know how to read it, so I don't do it that much. 
Well, I think first of all, as a side note to get us, get us going, is God promises, God's promises to us are the same promises He made all throughout the Old Testament. We just understand them in more detail after Jesus, but they're the same promises. So if we're understand, to understand how God relates to us, we need to truly understand lob. We need to understand how it plays out. And we know if we love Jesus, we can't fully understand him unless we understand what he's come to do. And we find that out through all the promises about him in the Old Testament. That all the hints, as we're saying with the kids, that every whisper tells a story of him and now they're shouting it out. What are these things that point us to Jesus? How do we understand that? And we'll do that today. And then there's a really basic one. I wonder if you thought about this. God wrote it. He wrote it for us. That's kind of the drop the microphone one for me. God wrote it. It's for me. I'm going to read it and get into it, even if it's totally whack for me. <laughs> like, I want to understand it. And lastly, there's many, many more. I could go on for ages, but I just wanted to give us this kind of grounding and context. It's our history. That is, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is our history. These are our promises. This is our history. We understand our relationship with God by deeply um, getting stuck into it. This is going to help us understand the promises God has given you if you invest in this amazing book of Joshua. If you're not a follower of Jesus though, what seems like maybe a pointless, irrelevant story, at best kind of interesting, is actually a way that God is challenging you to consider whether you're interested in his promises. And so if you want to come along for the ride with us uh, today and over the coming weeks, you'll see God is actually challenging all of us, even if we're not a follower of Jesus, to consider whether actually the point of life is to be devoted to him or not. That was a fairly long intro, but I hope that keeps you along the ride because I want us to now spend some time thinking about what actually happens. You see there the next point. Let's just go through the story that Shannon read for us. Have it open in front of you, um, if you've got it there, that, that would be helpful. I've got no, no other slides today, but I just want, want to um, help us get in our heads what actually happened. Starting at the beginning, as I've mentioned, Moses has died, and so God speaks to Joshua and says, Moses is dead, you're up, buddy, is <laughs> what he basically says to him. He says in verse 2, now then, you and all the people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. If we think about it though, for God's people here, for Joshua himself, this is actually a time of great anxiety. Moses is dead. They haven't got to the promised land for a very long time and the people living in the promised land aren't exactly nice people. How is this going to play out? Their great leader, the one who stood there and God used to part the sea, the one who freed them from centuries of slavery, only got to look over the promised land. He didn't get to go in. How could this possibly be? 
But God says, verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. He tells Joshua, you are going to be in this land. You put your foot there, that is my people's land. He says to Joshua, arise, go, not with your strength, I give you. I promised it, I promised to Moses, those promises are yours. And then he describes where that will be, and we see that in verse 4. This is where it's going to be, and he describes it from Lebanon all the way to the Mediterranean Sea in that area. This is where you're going to go. But what about the people that are there? Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. That's a little, almost seems like a, okay, they're going to move on. But when we read this story, that sentence is kind of the big conflict and drama that's about to take place. All these other tribes and nations, and let's not, uh, it's going to cause us conflict too as we wrestle with God's telling them to go to battle with other nations and how do we resolve that issue, uh, which we'll get into as we look into this book. But these nations don't want someone to come in and say, oh yeah, sure, your God has said you can have this land, we'll go find somewhere else. Not only that, they're wicked and we'll see how wicked they are. They're They're despicable. Um, some of the the people in these nations and God's people know the character of them Joshua has done a rendezvous already 40 years 40 um, years ago 45 years ago rather and so now they're told you're going to have that land the anxiety anticipation would be huge but the key isn't that Joshua's just got to man up or the people have just got to get on with it the key is he goes on to say I will be with you I will never forsake you in the second half of verse 5. See, this story really starts with a bang and of great anticipation and excitement. Hundreds of years of anticipation and now anxiety and fear all wrapped together for the people and Joshua was supposed to take over. And so what do you do? Well, God speaks to Joshua and he says... Be strong and courageous. He says it in verse 6. He says it in verse 7 with an extra very. Be strong and very courageous. And then, if you didn't get it, verse 9, be strong and courageous. He says to them, he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous because I promised you a land. You're going to get it in verse 6. He says to him, be strong and very courageous. What are you going to do then to be strong and very courageous? Obey my ways. When you got all the commandments that Moses got given, you follow them. The book of the law is something you want. God wants you to know, Joshua, that you and all my people are to do what I want. That's how important it is. That's where the prosperity and success comes from. And so, be strong and courageous. I've given you a promise. You've got my ways. So, don't be afraid, he says in verse 9. Don't be afraid. Instead of crippling fear, as you look at the nations who are in the land that I'm giving you, remember, as you go, I am with you in verse 9. And that's where God's speech ends. Verse 9, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
the speech is over, what is Joshua to do? Well, he starts well. He gets the people ready. In verse 10 and 11, he tells the officers of the people, go and get people ready because in three days, we're going into the promised land. God is giving it to us. And he gives further instructions in verse 12 and 14, which we won't go into now, to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half of Manasseh about what they need to do to make all this happen. And as he's spoken to the officers and to these tribes, the people, they, they respond in verse 16. It's worth taking note if you've got it there in front of you. Because they answered, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. If only, as we read out the story, doesn't quite work out as well as that. If they did, maybe the book of Joshua would have two chapters. This, chapter 2, the people went, followed Joshua, God gave them the land, they defeated all their nations and they're living happily in the promised land. End of chapter 2, end of the book. Fantastic. But it doesn't work out exactly like that. But they started well. They were committed. They re-said what Joshua said to them about what God wants them to be. In verse 18, we will be strong and courageous. And if we're not, we should be, we, uh, uh, we should be put to death, they even say. They agree to being strong and courageous. The scene is set. Can you see how monumental this is in Israel's history? It's actually about to happen. All the expectations, all the false starts because of their sin and they're mucking it up, now they are on the brink. A promise that seems so far when they're enslaved to the Egyptians who treated them so badly, who they did all their bidding, uh, did all their work for them, and it was impossible to get out of their slavery. God rescued them and now they're here. They're going into a new land with great anticipation. It was a little bit like on holidays. Um, uh, we, went, we went to Fiji and the kids and the cousins were going to Fiji and going into a new country when you're a kid is pretty exciting. And there's nine cousins and they were beside themselves. They were very excited. The words, I cannot believe we are in another country, we are finally here, were said over and over. It was palpable excitement just to be in another country uh, country for a holiday with family but it was only a holiday not our new home that had been promised to us but what awaited the arrival of the Israelites was very different to what awaited us as we traveled to the resort we were staying and as we were there we were greeted by most friendly, welcoming and kind people that you can imagine in Fiji who very confrontingly live with nothing as we drove and saw the poverty that they live in and yet how wonderful and friendly and kind they are to all us um, middle-class Australians and New Zealanders at the resort. And they, bulla, welcome, hello, great to have you here. It's kind of overwhelmingly kind and nice. Didn't know what to do with it all. What was waiting the Israelites were wicked nations and the people who don't want them there and who are willing to kill and destroy them. But God made a promise, but humanly speaking, it seems like the question is, how is this going to take place? And this is how 
Looking at chapter 1 helps us see the lessons that God is giving Israel to help them understand what to take, what's going to take place. Before we understand what it means for us, we need to understand what it means for them. You see, for the Israelites, first and foremost, as is very obvious to us, they needed to be strong and courageous. They were going to face trials. Their lives were going to be threatened. God's promises were there, but it seems so unlikely. Being strong and courageous is about trusting God. Have you got that? To be strong and courageous is about seeing God, relying on Him, depending upon Him when you fear the situation because you can see, humanly speaking, what it looks like. It's a little bit like um, when I have to help uh, Ethan and Chloe walk over a bridge of any description. That idea for them both of uh, seeing the ground, or particularly if they're slats, and the bridge that you can see down below, is quite scary. And the feeling of falling is, is quite daunting for them. Even, you know, going to Adelaide Airport and there's the walkway to get across from the car park. That has been a big trial for us, that uh, little walk. You see, but what I have to do with Ethan is I talk to him about it. Mate, what's going to happen is we're going to get across here. This bridge is okay. We're, we're, we've, been on, we've done this before. Remember how we got to the other side and it was fine. It's built properly. I explained it with him. I helped him. I told him about, remember how we've done this before. I reminded him about we've done this before. I've been a broken record on this one. This has happened lots, lots of bridges, <laughs> lots of walkways. We've, we've done this before. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm not doing it. But yeah, I remember, I remember. And they said, buddy, I'm with you. Do you need me to hold your hand? I'll walk with you. And we walk across the bridge. And usually we walk right down the middle of the bridge and I'll hold his hand and we walk down like this. That, that's how I'm with him. I'm going through it. Big, big day when he did it by himself the other day. That was pretty exciting. It's a big moment. Now, I think being strong and courageous is a little bit like that. The promise is there. The promise, remember, he says, remember what's going to happen. I've, I, I swore to your ancestors there'll be a promised land. It's going to happen. Just as I said, Ethan, I, I'm with you. I'm going to hold your hand and walk you through. God has said to Joshua, as he's always said to his people, I am with you. He says to him, uh, says to Joshua in verse 5, as Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never forsake you. They were his last words in this chapter. Your God will be with you wherever you go. We're not just walking over a bridge in life. The Israelites aren't just walking over a bridge. They're walking into the promised land and God is saying, I've told you what's going to happen. Remember how I've dealt with you and the promises I've give, given and I am there right beside you. Trusting God to do his thing and not your strength, Joshua. And don't let the people think it's in their strength because you're going to muck it up when you do that and that's kind of what happens sometimes. The second lesson for the Israelites out of trusting in God and being strong and courageous in those moments is by meditating on God always. Let's reread verse 7 and 8 to see that lesson. Be very strong, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. 
Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. His lesson for them in all of this scenario is, you follow my ways. I've given you the way, obey it. That's the way forward. And if you're going to do that, you meditate on it. You think about my ways. You invest in it. You're constantly thinking, reflecting. Remember at the beginning when I said, why bother with this? Because they're God's words. In chapter 1 of Joshua, he says, never stop thinking about it. Not just think about the New Testament, maybe Jesus, the Gospels of Jesus. Think about all of my ways. They had God's law. We have the word of God who reveals everything to us. Reread my ways, follow my ways, constantly come back. Have them on your lips. So when you're anxious, when you're stressed, when there's confusion, when there's worry, you can deal with it with right thinking. Constantly realigning your thinking to my thinking. That is the lesson that God is giving Joshua so that the people can understand what they need to do. It is the lesson of total devotion. They have to be totally devoted to God before they step into that promised land. So if that was the lesson for them, what is it for followers of Jesus? The first thing is we want to say, as we get to the three points there in the outline, is that we don't make the big mistake that sometimes happens when we read the Old Testament and and stories in the Old Testament. We don't automatically go, okay, this is what they did, so this is what we must do. Because let's play that out for a moment. They They were told by God and go and destroy this nation. Right, so now this is where we belong, so we must just destroy that nation. You know, that obviously that's ridiculous. But we can do that in more kind of subtle ways where we just... Forget kind of Jesus and forget how to play it out and just go, it happened then, so we must do it now. That's not how we understand the the narratives of the Old Testament. Neither do we just say, oh, well, that was for them, so it doesn't really matter to us now. No, no, we, we understand how it relates to us and where we are in history and how Jesus, how it fulfills, uh, it's fulfilled in Jesus and what that means for us. Sometimes it does mean they do that, we do this. We're going to get to, they needed to meditate on the law. Probably a good idea for us to meditate on God, right? But not exactly. We don't just go to the book of the law and read it, do we? We we meditate on God's ways, how he's shown us what all of life is about in Jesus, not just the Old Testament law. And we think about the Old Testament law as fulfilled in Jesus. So there needs to be some work done there. So with that said, what lessons do we have? First of all, God's promises are worth hearing. Sometimes we kind of, as oh, this is me speaking about myself here, go, yeah, yeah, I know that. God's promises are worth hearing. I want to I wanna keep remembering that. But it just kind of, because I hear it so often, I don't sit and reflect on those promises and how much I need them to saturate me. God's promises are worth hearing because he keeps them. He kept them to Moses. He, he's going to keep them to this new leader, Joshua. And have you considered that God the Father 
keeps all his promises to his son, the ultimate leader of God's people, the head of the church. We, we heard that you know the kids are now shouting Jesus and the baptism has come. Uh, when Jesus gets baptised, what happens? God the Father says, this is my son who I am now well pleased to listen to him. He gives him everything. All the promises that are kept in Jesus is now being fulfilled. Jesus was promised to be the one who rules over all. We jump all the way to the end of the the Bible, to Revelation, which we have looked at previously. And where do we find Jesus? The lion and the lamb on the throne, ruling. God keeps his promises to his ultimate king. Jesus himself says in, in John chapter 17, Father, glorify, glorify me as I glorify you. You promised me glory, I'll give you glory. God keeps his promises to his leader, even in himself, to the ultimate king, the Lord of all. So God's promise to his people is now not just a piece of land, it is eternally a new creation. Even more than that, the promise is, in Jesus, you are a new creation. That's a promise that you should wholeheartedly believe. If you've got a Bible in front of me, flick to 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5, verse 17. Two Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. It's not just that it's a promise, we're waiting for it to be fulfilled, but that promise has come that you in Jesus are a new creation. And this new creation has a promise of an eternal home, not just a piece of land. This whole earth is going to be a new creation. Flip with me to Revelation 21. Have a look at Revelation 21. Just the first few verses. Here's a promise that's worth grabbing hold of. If you're wondering why bother with all this, well, here's a promise. John, the the apostle, saw this. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. What did God promise Joshua? I will always be with you. What's the eternal picture for God's people? Not that he's just just going to be there. We're in the promised land being blessed so much that look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. That's the best bit of this section. Not the bit that's still awesome, but not as good as that, where he goes on to say, they will be, or they will be his people and God himself will be with them. That's that part of that. And then it goes on to say, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning, crying or pain for the old order of things are passed away. That no more pain and mourning and death is amazingly good because we're with God. 
That is the promise that God keeps. His promises are worth hearing in Joshua because they're pointing us to that promise that all of us in Christ can have. Can you see how what may seem like an irrelevant story is all about our history in Jesus? There is only one way to receive this new creation and that's because... Jesus was strong and courageous. Let's read together Luke 22 verses 39 to 46 to see Jesus. Open it up with me. Luke 22. Let's uh, do what Joshua says and just meditate on this. Let's just think it over what Jesus is doing. He's about to die. He's about to be arrested he goes to pray. He knows what he's about to face. Just as the uh, Israelites and Joshua know they're about to face nations who hate him, Jesus knows that he's about to face the wrath of God for all of the sin of, of humanity. And this is what happens. Luke 22, verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus, at the point of knowing what he was about to face, and let's remind ourselves of that, he is about to step into our shoes take what we deserve on himself so that we can be rescued by God. That is the ultimate promise so that the new heavens is yours, if you're wondering. That Jesus is about to face our punishment instead of us, the great substitution. If there's ever a moment in history where the need to be strong and courageous needs to take place for our sake, it is here. And Jesus says, knowing that this is what he's about to face, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. He knows God can take it from him. The cup, that's, that's a way of describing God's wrath. To take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He's saying, I want to do what you want to do. I am going to be strong and courageous. I am going to trust in you for the sake of humanity. And as he does that, he gets up and goes to the cross where you and I find a way to the new creation. Our response is just to trust in him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, your first step of being strong and courageous is to realize you need him and to trust in that moment where Jesus dies for you. 
And the life of a follower of Jesus is to continue to be strong and courageous in Christ. It's to trust in him when it seems persevering in him is hopeless. He told his disciples to be strong and courageous. That is, he said, pray. Ask God to help you that you don't fall fall into temptation and kind of reject me in that moment. And to not trust in me. Pray that you don't do that. And yet we know the story actually has one who instead of being strong and courageous was weak and a coward. Judas, one of the disciples, abandoned Jesus. He abandoned him with a kiss to send him to his death. God wants us to see that we need to trust in him not follow the way of Judas and when we face time when questions are asked of us maybe these questions subconsciously in your head or someone says something to you do I disown him in this moment do I abandon him this is all just getting too hard to be strong and courageous is to say I trust him despite appearances Despite my predicament, despite my pain, despite my longing, despite my suffering, despite my discontentment, despite my failing health physically or mentally, because Jesus went before me. And the new creation I have with him is coming. Brothers and sisters, to be strong and courageous is about being totally devoted to Jesus. And so lastly, followers of Jesus meditate on the word of God. It wasn't that long ago in a conversation I had with someone, not anyone at church here, that they suggested that We have too much of a focus on the Bible. Not that the Bible's wrong, not that it's not God's word, but just too much of a focus on the Bible that getting into the depth of it is is just unhelpful for for other reasons. You know, book of Joshua, do we really need it? It's too hard to understand. Never mind Leviticus. I think I'll do Leviticus next year, just so you know. Um, Just to mention... Just to mention Jesus is all you really need. Just, just talk about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus and how he fixes everything. That's, that, that's all the way you need to go. You don't need to go into that depth. That's not a, that's not a made up, that's a conversation I've had with someone. But the problem is, and I hope you see this today, God himself sets it up that we should meditate on his ways. No matter what what your skill is, your passion and love for reading is, I'm a rubbish reader. I don't really read except for God. You know, I, I embrace God's word and I love it. But I'm not a I'm not a book nerd by any stretch. I leave that to other members of my family. But God has set it up that we meditate on His word, that we get into it, that we don't just think Sunday at church is where we get our Bible fix. We let these words transform your heart so it changes your practice. He says, obey God's way. How are you going to obey God 
if you don't investigate what it is to follow his way. Don't turn to the right or to the left. How are you going to do that if you don't even know if you're in the middle? It's to be always on your lips. How can you constantly say the words of God if you don't know what those words are? You're to meditate on it day and night, not just at a fleeting moment. How are you going to do that if you only listen to the odd talk or read the Bible once in a blue moon? I've loved that this year we've read the Bible lots and lots of us have been reading the Bible in a year and we're trying to read it more and more and more. That's been a really great thing for us. And Joshua is pointing us in that direction. It's what it is to be strong and courageous. To be strong and courageous is to be fostered by total devotion to God's way, his word, all of it. One important corrective, the one that I think is worth listening to, You can have too much Bible if it's just for knowledge. For me, getting up here was just to dump a whole bunch of great information on you about what God says and it doesn't pierce our hearts and minds and does nothing to change us. That's a waste of time. And we need to constantly make sure that we don't fall into that trap as well. But I want us to finish our last uh, word today with the response of Joshua nearing the end of the book. Joshua encourages his people with words that should ring true for us throughout this whole uh, series. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, as he said, don't follow other gods, he talks about what his family's going to do. Let's finish with this. Verse 15 If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Will you and your household Be strong and courageous and serve the Lord. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, our simple prayer right now is that you will, by your Spirit, convict us to be strong and courageous in Christ as we long for our home, as we thank you that we are a new creation. Help us to be totally devoted to you, trusting in you always. Amen.